as a group of frogs were travelling through the woods, two of them fell into a deep pit. Uh, when the other frogs crowded around and saw how deep it was, they told the two frogs that there was just no hope. But the two frogs ignored what they were saying and tried to jump out of the pit. The group of frogs at the top continued to say that they should just give up. They'd never make it out. Eventually, one of the frogs took heed of what the others were saying and he gave up, fell down and died. But the other frog continued to jump as hard as he could. Again, the crowd of frogs yelled at him just to give up and die. He jumped even harder and finally made it out. The other frogs gathered around and said, did you not hear us? The frog explained to them that he was deaf. He thought they were encouraging him all the time. There's such power and encouragement. A silly story, but uh, there's such power and encouragement. In fact, we had a staff training session with industrial psychologist John Eatwell during the lockdown, and he said that healthy organisations were ones that there were, there were, where there was a culture of positive feedback and tremendous encouragement. Today we celebrate St Barnabas, our patron saint, who was well known in the early church as a person of encouragement. Now, apart from uh, the 12 disciples and Paul, Barnabas was one of the most important Christian leaders in the first decades uh, as Christianity began to spread throughout the Greco-Roman world. And Barnabas played a critical role on at least two occasions, which I'll explain later. How many will know uh, a lot about the life of Barnabas? You've been, some of you have been in this church for many decades, and about this time of year you hear a sermon on Barnabas, so I expect you know an awful lot about him. Uh, but it, whether or not you do, I will, um, I'll give you a refresher this morning because um, I think it's good to sort of be able to, to, to know the contours and outline of a person's life. Um, Barnabas first turns up in Acts chapter 4, the same year as the death and resurrection of Jesus and the coming of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And it's there that he's introduced as a Jew from Cyprus whose name was Joseph. It's possible that he became a follower of Jesus on the day of Pentecost among the many hundreds. In fact, it says 3,000 became followers at that time, and he may have been one of those. But it was at this early stage that he was given the nickname Barnabas, uh, meaning son of encouragement or son of consolation. And it's also possible that he earned this nickname because he sold some real estate and gave the proceeds to the leaders of the church. And in the context, it's clear that this was to be used to support the needy in Jerusalem. So that was about AD 30, give or take a year or two. Um, now, just four years later, Paul is converted to the faith on the road to Damascus. Later in the same year, he traveled to Jerusalem and tried to link up with the church leaders. But they refused to believe that Paul, the ruthless persecutor of the church, really had become a Christian and were too afraid to even meet with him. However, it was Barnabas who, without thought to his own safety, took a risk and met with Paul. You can imagine almost a World War II scenario. Uh, should I trust this person who says they're on our side, you know, or not? It really was taking his life into his hands. But in the course of the meeting, um, Barnabas became convinced that Paul really had become a Christian. 
And so Barnabas brokered a meeting and Paul was introduced to the other leaders and he became recognized as an apostle at that point. Fast forward eight more years to AD 42, and we're told that a great number of non-Jews were becoming followers of Jesus in a place called Antioch, uh, about 400 kilometers north of Jerusalem. Antioch was about the third or fourth largest city in the empire at that point, so it was a significant population base. And the leaders of the church sent trusted, reliable Barnabas to find out what was going on. Now, in order to strengthen this fledgling church, Barnabas immediately recognized the need for further teaching resources. And so he went to Tarsus, a little bit further north and a bit to the west, uh, just around into what we would recognize as modern-day Turkey, the hometown of Paul. He found him, brought him back, and together they set about teaching, equipping, and training these very young converts to the faith. Come forward another six years to AD 48, and Barnabas and Paul are commissioned by the church in Antioch, which had become stronger at that point, to undertake a missionary trip. The church sent out their two best leaders to travel to Cyprus and what we would now call southern Turkey to speak about Jesus, to encourage people to believe in him and to plant new churches. The next year, AD 49, both Paul and Barnabas undertook another missionary journey. And it's then that they had um, a sharp disagreement about taking a young Christian called John Mark with them. John Mark had kind of let them down uh, previously. And Paul said, no, we don't want quitters on our team. We're not taking him. But Barnabas wanted to give him another chance. But it was such a heated argument that Paul separated from Barnabas. And uh, Barnabas took John Mark as his helper and went west across to Cyprus again. And it's at this stage that Barnabas is kind of eclipsed by Paul. And we don't hear too much more about Barnabas in the New Testament, just a couple of minor references after that. Now, often people think of Paul as the leading figure in the early expansion of Christianity. But on at least two occasions, it was actually Barnabas who made a crucial decision that enabled the mission to move forward. In AD 34, as I said, he introduced Paul to the other leaders of the church in Jerusalem. And then in AD 42, he recognized the need to invite Paul to Antioch to help establish the very first church among non-Jews which was a vitally important bridgehead. If that hadn't worked, Christianity may well have kind of collapsed into a little uh, odd kind of sect within Judaism. So that movement through Antioch and then to the rest of the Roman world was absolutely important. Two great decisions by Barnabas. So how can he be a role model for us this morning? What can we learn from him and how does he challenge us? Well, I'm going uh, a little old school now uh, because I've got three R's. Uh, This is so that um, when you're tested later, you can rehearse them back to me, Um, just to help you remember. I know there are teachers in the congregation who might appreciate this. The first R stands for respond. The most notable thing about Barnabas is that he responded 
with all of his being to the message of Jesus Christ. Barnabas was changed. He really was seized by the love and grace of God. Uh, Just think about it. He'd been a Christian for less than a year. And in that time, had earned a reputation for encouragement and amazing generosity. This was a person who really was changed by God's love. He not only believed in Jesus with his, his heart and his mind, but his whole life was orientated around the teaching of Jesus. Jesus had lived a life of poverty and simplicity. Barnabas was doing the same. Jesus had encouraged the poor and downtrodden. Barnabas was doing the same. Jesus cast a vision of God's reign of justice and love. Barnabas had caught this vision and was living it. So that's the first R. Barnabas responded to the gospel with his whole heart. Have you responded wholeheartedly to the love and grace of God? Not just with your mind, not just with your heart, but with your deeds as well, your lifestyle, the practical aspects of life. Let Barnabas be our role model. The next R is recognize. Barnabas had the vision and the faith to recognize where the Spirit of God was moving and the courage to take out Uh, step out and take a risk. We've already seen how he introduced Paul to the leaders of Jerusalem. Now, this is a bigger deal than we might at first realize. Paul had been extremely hostile to the church. So what was it about Barnabas uh, that he decided to broker a meeting when others were unwilling? Well, we're told in Acts chapter 11 that Barnabas was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Scripture reserves those kinds of fulsome descriptions of a person to only the very best. It's quite rare that a person is described in that way. But here we have that description applied to Barnabas. So I see a combination here. He recognized the importance of regularizing Paul's status as a church leader by introducing him to others. But... I strongly suspect that he exercised what I would call spiritual insight. He was full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And this gave him the ability to not only recognize a big call, but to have the courage to follow through. Do we exercise this gift of spiritual recognition? Do we recognize what God wants us to do? To step out on a limb sometimes and make a call. I remember standing outside a person's house earlier this year after being prompted by God to go and visit that person. And I felt God wanted me to invite him to consider coming on vestry. And I stood on the street almost ready to leave uh, because common sense determined that this was not really a good idea. They were very new to the parish. But something in me said, he's got great gifts, tremendous spiritual maturity. He would make a great contribution. So I followed my spiritual hunch, and it has worked out extremely well. So my encouragement is to be aware 
of what the Spirit might be saying to you and to follow those hunches. The first R was respond. I won't embarrass you. (laughs) I know I wouldn't be embarrassing many of you. Uh, Respond to the good news of Jesus with your whole heart and recognize. Recognize what God wants to work, uh, sorry, that God wants to work with you to bring about good and the extension of his kingdom. Recognize this and don't be afraid to go out on a limb sometimes. My third and final R is reassure. It's not perfect. I hunted through my thesaurus for a better word. I couldn't find one, but it does begin with R. reassure, uh, Reassure has to do with Barnabas being a reassuring and encouraging presence to all he met. And this is a truth that we all kind of know instinctively, but none of us uh, are really fantastic all the time at implementing it. I know some of you do, and that's very positive. But um, we've all experienced, haven't we, the amazing benefit of someone encouraging us when we really needed that. Um, We can change another person's life by encouraging and them and, and offering reassuring words. Isn't that right? And most of us put on a confident, self-sufficient exterior, don't we? You know, we make others think that we're doing quite well, even though we may be hurting, we may be discouraged. We may have had a falling out with someone. But no one knows what's going on in our hearts. And at those low moments, another person giving us a word of encouragement and reassurance can make all the difference in the world. We're all human. None of us are super duper. We all need words of encouragement. Um, I know of some people who are doing a great job in their professional lives, and yet their boss never gives them any credit. And an environment like that can be very discouraging. You're doing your best, you're contributing, and yet there's no acknowledgement or recognition. How much should we, as members of the church called St. Barnabas, give encouragement and reassurance to one another? It's what Jesus would do. It's what Barnabas would do. Can we take the time to give another person some encouragement. And I must admit, to your credit, I've received lots of emails in the last few months of people saying, hey, you're doing a great job. So thank you for that. It made the world of difference to me. Now I've got to remember to pass that encouragement on to others. When Pip and I visited Turkey a few years ago, we visited a beautiful Catholic church in Izmir called the Church of St. Polycarp. So there it is there, and um, it's very ornate. It's utterly beautiful. Uh, during the Ottoman period, post-World uh, World War I, many of the churches were destroyed in Turkey. And um, the population of Christians within that country went from about 25% of Turkey, and today it stands at much less than 1%. But this church has been preserved, the Church of St. Polycarp. It's on the coast, the um, south 
west coast of Turkey. And we had to get a key. It's not really a tourist attraction. We had to get a key, and someone had to come and show us. And the young man who was there um, turned out to be a young convert from Islam. And he's there with the teal-coloured T-shirt on. And it was such, such a good meeting. Um, at his baptism, he had taken the name Barnabas because he was from Cyprus. And Barnabas, of course, is the patron saint of Cyprus. And we spent about 30 minutes talking with him. And, of course, he told, um, we told him that we were from St. Barnabas as well. And it was a tremendously happy and joyful uh, meeting. But, you know, within a country where the Christian population has just plummeted, uh, Barnabas had every reason to be dejected and feel beaten down. But, you know, he wasn't. He was full of joy. And we left feeling very encouraged indeed. Barnabas was true to his name. This morning, I hope we've been inspired by the life of St. Barnabas. He really was a very significant figure in the early church. He spotted key moments where things could have gone either way. And with his spiritual intuition, he made a call and it was the right one. He was an encouraging person. People loved being around him, I'm sure. So let us be like St. Barnabas as a parish church ourselves. Uh, what are the three R's? St. Barnabas responded to the message of Jesus, the basic gospel. He recognized the times he should obey, and he reassured and encouraged others. Let us continue to be inspired by our patron saint of St. Barnabas this morning. I'm going through to live streams, and so I say good morning to you all. Bye-bye.